If you've got your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Isaiah chapter 43. And we're going to get there. It's going to be a few minutes, but we're going to get there. Uh, we're going to be talking today, continuing our series called This I Know. Let me ask a question to start with. How many of you here today either wear glasses or contacts or have had some sort of surgery to correct a vision problem? How many of you? All right. Okay, that's most of us. Let me ask you the other way. How many of you have do not wear contacts or glasses or have never had surgery? All right. There are a few of us. All right. That's good to know. Hey, let me ask you, those of you that have had, uh, you wear glasses, you wear contacts, you, you've... Uh, You've had surgery. How did you know you needed glasses or contacts or surgery? How did you know that? You couldn't see good, right? Maybe one day, maybe you think you can see good, and one day something happens. You go, wait, I can't even see that. Yeah, signs, you're reading signs going down the road, and you can't read that anymore. Or you're reading a book, and you realize you're having to hold it up here or way out there, right? Sometimes people don't know, and they go to the doctor, and the doctor just says, hey, let's, let's just do a random vision test, and... They put the numbers up on the thing, and you're like, I can only read the big fat letters at the bottom, right? So there is this moment of realization that maybe my vision is not as clear as it ought to be. Over the last few weeks, and for the next couple of weeks, what we've been talking about is trying to get a better understanding of who God is and trying to get a clearer vision of who He is. Now the truth is, if we spent five weeks or five months or five years or five decades, we could never get to a point where we get a clear picture of who God is. But our goal over these last few weeks and for the next couple is to just get a glimpse of some aspects of who He is. We're looking at some characteristics of God that shows us promises about who He is and what He intends for our lives. And our goal is that in some way the picture will become a little bit clearer. Many of us end up, if we're not careful, living with a distorted view of who God is. Either it's blurry and we've got some kind of idea, but we really don't know who He is, and so we make decisions based on this kind of blurry idea He is. Some of us have a pretty good idea of what God is like in a small way. How many of you ever... um, Go out to drive your car. I know it's the middle of the summer, but you know in the winter time, how many of you ever gone out there to drive your car and you get out there and you left it outside or you don't have a garage or you forgot and it is caked in ice? How many of you ever? All right. Anybody here want to admit that you've just gotten like the little peephole out? Anybody ever done that? Let me see. You know, and you start to drive and you're up on the windshield driving and hoping that defrost works, you know. Well, some of us are living our lives like people that have just got out the peephole and we don't have any idea of what's really around us. And that's not that big of a deal except for this. Our vision of God probably affects how we live more than anything else in our lives. It was A.W. Tozer that wrote that what comes to mind when we think of God is the most important thing about us. And he continues and says, most of us end up moving our lives and becoming more and more like what our vision of God tells us about Him. So our relationship with Him, our relationship with others, our work ethic, our ability to help other people, our mission involvement, our life purpose, our relationships in general, our our attitudes are all greatly affected by what we envision God to be. So over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about some very important things about God. First of all, that God is in complete control. 
And because he's in complete control, we can trust him completely. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, God is always with us. And we talked about that with us doesn't just mean he's walking alongside of us. That that word in scripture, what it really kind of intends for us to understand is that God is constantly working for us. That he is on our side. That he is actively engaged on our behalf. So we don't have to fear. Now last week we talked about the kind of the, the linchpin that makes it good that God is all-knowing and in control and that He's with us. And that is that God is good. Always. All the time. And because of that, we don't have to despair. Well, today I want to look at one um, promise. We've got two more. We've got this week and next week. And I want to look at one today that just at first glance can seem kind of intimidating. And this is the promise that we're going to talk about today. God is always watching. God is always watching. Now, let's just be real honest for a minute, okay? If you heard anybody else in your life was always watching you, it would be a little creepy, right? Right? I mean, just think about the phrases you could use. My neighbor is always watching me. It's a little creepy, right? That girl is always watching me. That boy is always watching me. Even as youth, my parents are always watching me. It could be intimidating. But if he didn't have what we've already talked about, that God's in complete control, that he's good, that he's on our behalf, it could be that way here. But that's not what God intends. Now, first of all, let's, I want to look at a verse of Scripture. You don't have to turn there. You're in Isaiah, I know. But this is in Second Chronicles chapter 16. And it just says, For the eyes of Yahweh roam throughout the earth. There are other translations of that that talk about the eyes of the Lord searching continually through the earth. That He's always kind of watching. And the idea here is that God is ever watching us. Now, in case we missed that, the eyes of the Lord are mentioned throughout Scripture seven times. Or several times, not seven times, several. It tells us in Scripture that God's eyes are inescapable. Proverbs 5.21 says that a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God sees all because He's watching. It also tells us in Scripture that the eyes of the Lord are synonymous with what's right and true. Deuteronomy 6.18 says, You shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. And the Scripture tells us over and over about kings who did what was right in the sight of the Lord and those that did what was not right in the sight of the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord. And here's kind of an interesting thing. Scripture teaches that the eyes of the Lord are particularly on His children. That they are pointed towards us. That they are focused and attentive to His people. I assume some of you have at least been on Google and seen your house from space. How many of you have done that? All right. Speaking of things that are a little creepy, right? I mean, if you got out there in the right time, they might get you mowing the yard or clipping the hedges or whatever else. I don't know what else you do at your house, but they could catch you, all right? Well, the thing is, Scripture describes that God kind of has that all-knowing view, 
but that he focuses in in particular, for instance, on those houses on your street that are his kids. As parents, we kind of know this. Luca, my five-year-old, started t-ball in the last couple of weeks. First time he's ever played. Now, we're a little concerned about the season because his coach is a guy named Kevin Steelman, and we're worried about what might happen there. But Kevin uh, is... Kevin's the head coach, but there are officially uh, 212 other coaches on the field, something like that, Kevin. Uh, yesterday I counted. We had, we have, how many players are on the team? Like 12? And I think we had 12 people on the field, all right? Well, Kevin, Kevin is, is, you know, he, he's hardcore. We, we have stations for the kids. They move throughout the stations, throughout the practice, and I'm assigned to uh, the infield with Kevin. Kevin's hitting infield to the five-year-olds and the five-year-olds are um, piling dirt on their legs um, while they're, it's not their turn. And so we're doing infield, and we rotate them in and out. And so we get through with one group, and we send them out. And one of the ones we send out after the, Luke was in on third base in the first session, and he gets sent out to the outfield. And the outfield, they're hitting. And so I'm, I'm in charge of watching all these kids and making sure they get the ball where they're supposed to go uh, on the infield and helping Kevin um, herd the cats that are there. And... But I notice out of the corner of my eye that Luke is getting ready to start taking some swings. So what I do is I position myself on the field where I can kind of see the other players, but I'm really focused on Luke. I've got vision of what's happening here, but my attention is really on Luke. God's children have his attention on them. Now, the truth is, again, if we just knew that God was always watching us and we didn't know the reason, it could be intimidating. In fact, there are these wrong concepts about who God is. So, some people think with God's always watching, well, that's kind of like a voyeuristic neighbor. That, I don't want people knowing where I am at all times. Or the government, you know, that, that this is maybe the only place. I don't think there are any cameras in here from the government, but, you know, that they're watching all the time. And this kind of privacy stuff, you never know when you're on camera. There are some people that see God kind of as this hawk hovering over the earth, ready to strike whenever anything is about to go wrong. Some people see him. Do you, how many of you remember the uh, early 90s Saturday Night Live character, the church lady? Anybody remember him? The, isn't that special? All right, any of you kids know church lady? Okay, good, Eric. I'm glad. You make me feel good, all right? Uh, remember church lady? She was always seemed to be looking for those things she could nitpick you about. Some people see God waiting on that. I, I remember growing up at First Dyersburg, um, there was this lady who I won't give you her name because I found out later in life she was a really sweet lady, but early on in my life, I was scared to death of her at church. Anybody have one of those church ladies? You know, I mean, it was one of those things that when I would think about doing something wrong, I would kind of glance over and she would just be staring at me like she knew. And if by chance I did something I shouldn't do in worship, like, you know, breathe, um, and I looked over at her, not only would the eyes be on me, but the finger would be pointing, all right? Some people see God, well, He's watching us like that. Or, or like a cantankerous boss that's just always looking to, to nail you when you don't do something right. But that's not what Scripture says. End of that verse I put up a minute ago. That the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show Himself strong for those whose hearts are completely His. This verse in Second Chronicles is actually written to a king who chose in battle 
to trust an ally, a human ally, instead of depending upon God. And the prophet says to him, why would you ever choose to trust that when God is constantly watching, just waiting to act on your behalf? iPad didn't crack, we're good. It's not going to bother me if it doesn't bother you, alright? We're constantly, God's looking to help us out. In fact, here is the promise that we have. If God is always watching, we don't ever have to worry about failing in a major way. We don't ever have to worry about faltering. Now, I chose the word falter pretty specifically because we will fail. We will make mistakes. We will mess up. But God will not let us falter. Isaiah chapter 43 says this, if I can now find it. Isaiah 43, verse 1. Now this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, and the one who formed you, Israel. I I love this um, the way he says this. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. He's basically saying that, listen, I've got a double claim on your life. Now he's talking about the Israelites here, the nation of Israel, but we can apply this to our own lives. He says, I've got a double claim on your life. First of all, I created you. I'm the reason that you exist. But not only that, when you got into trouble, when you got into desperation, when you needed help, I bought you back. I have claimed you again. For those of us that are believers in Jesus Christ, God looks at us and says, I have made you and I have redeemed you. I have called you. By your name, you are mine. Then he says this. I will be with you when you pass through the waters and when you pass through the rivers. They will not overwhelm you. You will not be scorched when you walk through the fire and the flame will not burn you. So let me ask you a question. This is written during a time of the prophets and so... This is after the nation of Israel had been formed. Was there a time in their history when they could look back and see that God delivered them through the waters? Through the river. Yeah, right? A couple of times. There was the Red Sea with Moses when he's standing on the side and Moses says, listen, stand back, watch what the Lord's about to do. And the Red Sea parts and they walk through on dry land and God delivers them through it. There's also with Joshua at the River Jordan when God does again separate the waters. And he says, I'm going to take you through this. I love the word through there. It doesn't mean that what's going to happen is that you'll be saved from it. It doesn't mean that you will be taken out of it immediately. What it means is that God is going to deliver you through it. Now, at that moment, there would have been some examples of the fire as well, that when you're in the fire, you won't be scorched, you won't be hurt. But the best example of that came actually after this, when the nation of Israel was now captured in a foreign place called Babylon, and there were three guys that were offered the chance to get off if they would just bow down to the idol. Remember those three guys' names? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And they go into the fiery furnace, the king throws them in, and before they get in we have that great line where they say, listen, we're going to serve God, and our God is able to deliver us, but even if He doesn't, we will not bow down to your idol. And they go into the fiery furnace, and they look down in the fiery furnace, and it's the three of them plus one that's come and joined them for a little walk around the fiery furnace. They get out of the fiery furnace, and I love what it says about them. It basically says that there is no physical evidence whatsoever that they have been in a fire. 
God has delivered them out of that. The point for you and me is this. God is watching because He intends to help us. And if we will depend on Him, we won't falter. Does that mean there will never be difficult moments in your life? Absolutely not. Does that mean that you won't have issues where you don't know how you're going to get out of it? Absolutely not. But what it does mean is you can trust the Lord to get you through it. I don't know what situations you find yourself in today. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's happening. But I can guarantee that it's not a bigger problem than God can handle. I don't know if your family, if there are situations, I don't know if your friends, I don't know if your own emotional well-being, your own understanding of who you are. I don't know about your school. I don't know about your work. I don't know about relationships in general. I don't know about your spiritual life. But what I do know is that whatever's happening in your life, God is watching and doesn't want you to falter. His eyes are moving throughout the earth to see who He can help. Each week in the series, I've given you a, 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 a scripture uh, that you can think about through the week. And I'm going to ask you to mark or write down 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I'm not sure if it, there it is. It says this. No temptation. And understand, in the, in the original language, temptation, trial, difficulty, all kind of the same word. It just depends on how you read it. So no temptation, difficulty, trial has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. And He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, He will provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. God is faithful. He's going to provide a way of escape in the midst of whatever you're in. I want you to think for just a moment about the most difficult situation you have in your life right now. And for some of you, when you think about it, it's going to feel like it is a situation that there is no good solution for it. That you're going to feel trapped. And we talked about last week, even despair about it. And I want you to begin to pray this week that God will show you the way He's making. Now, His way may come in a variety of ways. It might be that God says, all right, I'm going to take care of it right now and I'm going to end the situation right now. It's over. There may be some lingering consequences, but it's over. It may be that God is going to bring some encouragement into your life. It may be that God's going to give you some wisdom to act in a way that you've been thinking about or wondering about. It may be that God's going to give you strength to persevere under whatever's happening. Someone to come along to share the burden with. Or maybe He's just going to give you a few days of relief. Think about the most difficult issue you have. One of the most ridiculous things that often happens with us as believers is the most difficult situations in our lives are the ones that we sometimes hide from the Lord. Maybe that's because they're our own choosing or we feel like they're our own fault, our own failure, and we feel like if we take it to the Lord, He's not going to want to hear that or He's, he's one of those that's always watching and is like, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. Or that He's going to deal negatively with us. But the truth is, when we understand that God's eyes are watching to help, that He is a good God that cares deeply about us, it's in those moments that we take our deepest, most difficult things to the Lord.